Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Geling Roshi, for inviting me and for your generous introduction. Um, the book I wrote during the pandemic and also um, with, um, in collaboration with the photographer Mitsue Nagase, uh, Garden of Awakening, Discovering Zen Landscapes in Kyoto, is still kind of uh, technically negotiating on the contract with Shambhala Publications. They like to publish it, but uh, uh, so uh, it's not published yet, so it'll take a few years. The uh, Yes, thank you for mentioning our uh, new project with the non-profit organization Inochi with Mayumi Oda and others. Uh, is sort of in, in its formative uh, place. Oh, website is not up yet. It's it's already built, but we are refining it. Hopefully, uh, we'll launch in April. So, um, so the the concept of green dharma is that. Uh, we practice Buddha Dharma and we benefit a lot. We try to serve others. But at this time of global crisis with war and threat of uh, nuclear war, um, climate change, population explosion, environmental destruction, we're rushing toward kind of collective suicide. So uh, we are not only kind of learning, practicing, and then transforming our own consciousness and help others too, but also we need to engage in some activities, taking actions, and then our activities will uh, let us realize something more, how to uh, work together with other pe people, how to work with the environment. Uh, so that's the concept of green dharma. It's a uh, kind of uh, dynamic interaction with the society and then environment. As you know, uh, Avatansaka Sutra is often known as flower ornament scripture. Thomas Clary's monumental work, the translation itself 
is uh, over 1,400 pages. So this is one of the largest scriptures. The last one, largest one is Prajnaparamita scriptures. Um, but perhaps this is the second largest. I have the uh, Chinese and then Japan Chinese text with, along with Japanese translation. This is 1100 pages and 1200 pages. So uh, this is a huge sutra and then you may have tried to read Clearway's translation. It's so uh, dense and so enormous. Uh, not only the volume, but the vision is so enormous. So um, it's sort of discouraging. Uh, also nowadays, Western scholarship is very advanced. Maybe I would say more advanced than East Asian Chinese or Japanese scholarship. Of course, um, Chinese and then Korean and Japanese uh, tradition has uh, over 1,000 year old uh, scholarship, but the Western scholarship is uh, advancing so quickly. So this is a, a book called um, Reflecting Mirrors, Perspectives on Hawaiian Buddhism. Hawaiian is a Chinese kind of uh, way of saying Avatansaka, edited by Imra Hammer. Uh, Professor Hammer is a Hungarian scholar. And then he edited um, very academ uh, advanced um, academic papers by uh, people from um, China, Japan, US and other countries. Um, and so these scholars, of course, Mahayana Buddhist scholars, all are versed with Sanskrit and Chinese. I think all of them kind of study uh, the text uh, in Chinese, because uh, majority of the text survived in the form of Chinese. <clears throat> the last part, uh, pilgrimage of child Sudana, uh, remains in Sanskrit too. But the majority of the scholarship actually comes from studying Chinese texts, but also referring 
to in reference to Sanskrit and Tibetan. So these scholars are, um, know at least Sanskrit and Chinese, but also some in Chinese, uh, no Tibetan, and some Korean and then Japanese. So this amazing uh, scholarship happening. So I'm so grateful about being able to have the opportunity to uh, study this scripture um, in a scholarly way. But also most of my sources are Chinese text. Mm. The Avatansaka Sutra. Um, the idea of the um, flower ornament is that um, the sutra says the entire universe is enveloped by a huge uh, lotus. So our world is actually in within a lotus womb. So it's a feminist image, feminine image. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I'm not sure if we call this flower an ornament. It's more than ornament. It's a kind of magnificence of the universal deity by Rochana. So I prefer to call it uh, Flower Splendor Scripture. That's why I may uh, refer the Avatansaka Sutra as the Flower Splendor. If you have uh, maybe objections, maybe later you can uh, address that. But anyway, um, and also one of the core teachings of uh, the Avatansaka Sutra is that uh, we are kind of in the world of Indra's net. So I like to talk about uh, Indra's net. And then this is my painting in the back. Um, Indra's net. <clears throat> so I think um, to envision and then to work for a sustainable society, um, it's imperative uh, to uh, learn from ancient wisdom. As you know, um, well, we feel we are all advanced scientific technology and uh, <clears throat> we are advanced, we are smart, but um, without kind of learning from ancient wisdom, which is so enormous. Um, our work will be super, superficial and limited. 
And I feel that the kind of enormous uh, vision of the Avatansaka Sutra would be uh, crucial to study and then get inspiration from for our um, ecological thinking. An early form of the Avatansaka Sutra, scholars call it Avatansaka prototype. So, um, this actually does not exist, I mean, anymore, as far as we know. So, it's an imaginary, maybe, um, early form. And then uh, this sutra, of course, in um, in India, pe people didn't have, at least is not recall the dating of where, uh, when the sutra was formed. So we all know the approximate date of the formation of uh, sutras um, from the dates of um, translation from Sanskrit in Chinese. Chinese were very meticulous about uh, dates and names of translators. And uh, so that's kind of how we can guess the time of the formations of uh, scriptures. And uh, the first translation into Chinese was done in the fourth century, and then second one in the seventh century. There were different partial uh, translations, but these are the two uh, main versions. The first one is called 60 fascicle version, 60 volume, so to speak. And uh, fascicle means um, it's like a chapter length text bound in an, as an independent book. So that's fascicle. And then the Second uh, version is 80 fresco version. So you can see that uh, Sutra existed um, at the latest in the fourth century. And then there were some tributaries, some early forms of uh, some part of the Sutra in the first and the second century. So different scriptures come together and then uh, formed uh, maybe the mainstream. And then the beginning of the mainstream of uh, this huge scripture, we call it prototype. 
And uh, scholars don't define so far, as far as I know, what prototype uh, Avatansaka Sutra looks like. So I'm suggesting that uh, there are three large elements in the sutra. One is the kind of uh, continuous kind of uh, stages of bodhisattvas. So the the main theme of Avatansaka Sutra is when bodhisattvas become the Buddha. And then it takes a long time, maybe almost eternal time. And then there are many, many stages. And then finally, I become a Buddha. So gradual enlightenment. That's the main uh, theme of uh, the sutra. And so that's one thing, stages of bodhisattvas practice. Um, another is uh, important thing is the Vairochana, the uh, universal deity of luminosity. Some people argue that this came from the idea of the sun, and then uh, other people argue, no, it's not the sun, but if beyond the sun. But anyway, Vairochana um, Buddha is important. And the third element is the uh, pilgrimages, uh, the pilgrimage of the child or boy, Sudhana, uh, in search of Bodhisattva way. So he visited, uh, you know, so-called great friend uh, in uh, different places and say, uh, say, what is the Bodhisattva past? And then the practitioner would say, this is what I'm doing. And then, but this is only a partial practice. Maybe you should go to another person and then I'll tell you who. And then uh, go and then uh, ask the person about the Bodhisattva way. So Sudhana visits uh, 53 places, 53 practitioners, including Lady Maya, mother of um, Siddhartha, uh, to be a Shakyamuni Buddha. So um, she said, I'm a mother of, um, I'm the mother of Siddhartha, I'm the mother of uh, Shakyamuni, I'm the mother of Vairochana. So this is my Bodhisattva practice. So uh, yeah, this is so wonderful. Um, so you can see, uh, this is the last part of the uh, Avatansaka Sutra. 
about one third of the whole text is like that. And um, I would say that it really illustrates the uh, maybe 53 different types of bodhisattva practice. And uh, <clears throat> so, in a way, if we say, what is a bodhisattva practice? It's good to kind of um, go to this text and then try to learn what actually the sutra is suggesting, what kind of maybe bodhisattva practice we are lacking. And then we can learn from that. But anyway, <clears throat> So these three elements come together, and then I call it, this is a prototype text. Um, I think the, uh, maybe what makes Avatansaka Sutra so different from other sutra is that there was a, in my mind, a breakthrough concept. That is when Siddhartha was enlightened, and he was practicing under the Bodhi tree in Buddha Gaya. Our board guy. Um, he was, and then he became a Sakamani Buddha, but at that moment he was already Vairochana, kind of universal deity. So you can see there is a huge jump, you know, kind of a human teacher who was enlightened. But according to the Avatansaka Sutra, actually he became an, an universal deity, kind of creator of the universe. And then uh, he would be omnipresent, even in a small particle, in an atom, kind of Bairochana um, exists. So, you can see that uh, there is some unicism, that is, God is one, and polycism, that there are many gods. Uh, um, no. And then pantheism, that is, God is everywhere, even in a small particle a small atom, um, God's everywhere. So that's Avatansaka Sutra's uh, teaching. In a way, it's very kind of inspiring because, oh, we think this is poisonous, or we think this is rotten, but can we see some kind of potential that 
is life affirming. Um, that is some, something sacred. So we can re-examine kind of, uh, everything, people, maybe animals, plants, any uh, minerals, anything. We can see some divinity, some infinite value in each being, each thing. So that's um, Avatanasaka Sutra, maybe inspiration. I'd like to read uh, maybe one passage of the Sutra. The Buddha is called Siddhartha, or called the full moon, or called the lion's roar, or called the Shakyamuni, or called the Vairochana. So in a way, you can see that uh, Avatarasaka Sutra doesn't see any uh, division between the Siddhartha and Shakyamuni and Vairochana. I'd like to read um, a scene about his enlightenment. Thus have I heard, at a time when the Buddha is at his practice place in a grove in Magadha, he attains enlightenment for the first time. The ground is solid, made of diamonds. There is a wondrous treasure wheel above. The place is gloriously adorned with magical gem flowers and pure pearls. The ocean of limitless colors manifests. The pearls are made into banners. Light shines and beautiful music is heard all the time. Nets of gems with fragrant tassels hang all around. The Buddha with his divine power makes this practice place magnificent. All at once, many bodhisattvas appear like clouds through the gems. So you can see kind of a magnificent description of the scene. Um, and then they maybe how the Avatamsaka Sutra describes the universe. I like to um, read something. Actually, I kind of quoted, uh, I summarized it in my book, Lotus, a long time ago. So I'd like to read it. Uh, in this world, innumerable air mandalas or circular layers of wind are laid atop each other. 
the top disc is filled with fragrant water. In its center blossoms a giant lotus flower containing an ocean of glorious blossoms. Its petals form the surrounding mountains. Its seedbeds is a diamond earth with countless seed pods filled with fragrant water, each containing a seed. Each seed embodies 20 worlds. The Saha world, world of suffering we live, where humans live, is the 13th from the bottom. There are innumerable majestic worlds of Vairochana like this lotus womb world. In these worlds, every particle reflects the countless dharma worlds, and Vairochana is present in each particle. Now, here comes a net. Um, I think seeing the world as nets may have some certain advantages. Individuals are all connected, visibly or invisibly. The communication system with humans are interwoven. Our thought, messages, work, products, and politics affect one another. There are multiple nets described in the flower splendor scripture. They include nets of flowers, pearls, lamps, illuminations, fragrance, directions, sentient beings, and worlds. The nets are also of consciousness, feelings, love, views, and doubts. There are also negative nets such as illusions, delusions, obstructions, sufferings, stupidity, evils, and demons. At the same time, there are nets of practice, vows, and bodhisattva actions. So these are all connected. We can see ourselves as part of the net. Among the innumerable nets, the ultimate and most widely quoted is called the Indra's net. Indra originally a Vedic or pre-Hindu warrior deity. Use his net as a weapon. You can imagine that maybe ordinary soldiers maybe carry a net, maybe with poles or something, and then, you know, uh, maybe try to capture an extraordinary mighty soldier. And then, in a way, it's easy. You, know, you go and then uh, get the net up and then put it down, and then uh, the warrior can be captured very easily. So, you know, this was a 
very amazing kind of concept of an ancient weapons. And um, we don't know in India, they have this idea of Indira, Indra's net, uh, which has gem at the knot of every knot of the net. And this gem reflects everything. Um, someone said, this may be like a crystal. And then it could be like a pearl or some kind of gem that reflects. And so that means if you are in one place, you, you see everything. <laughs> it contains everything. And then there's another one also contains everything. And, uh, and then everything there are particles. And then in every particle the universal deity by Rochana exists. So that's the idea. And Isho uh, is a just amazing concept. In ancient times, of course, in China, in the seventh uh, and eighth century. So this uh, Avatansaka philosophy, Huayan philosophy, developed, and. Uh, the, uh, the masters of uh, mm, this school described actually the uh, Indra net with gems at each knot. And I think um, Indra's net is uh, very important, and then the, how this concept developed is very important. But unfortunately, I haven't seen any scholars work, you know, in the Western world or China or Japan about the kind of origin and development of Indra's net theory. Uh, so I'm kind of uh, asking scholars and I'm trying to read the Avatansaka commentaries and then scriptures and try to kind of determine the uh, development of uh, this Indra's net theory, whether it's Chinese origin or actually this was more like Indian origin. We don't know yet, but probably you would uh, know that in the contemporary world, this internet is like a, you know, uh, application 
or at least maybe it corresponds to the idea of Indra's net, you know. So you have a smartphone, a small smartphone, right? <laughs> and then, and then maybe in front of that, or I don't know where, there's kind of all the information is there. Uh, it's amazing, you know. I mean, you can have access to all the great scientific theories, uh, kind of news, or anything unimportant that someone took, took a photograph of the dinner <laughs> last night or something uh, insignificant. But these are all accessible. That means maybe it should be here in such a small space in the maybe sugar cube area. There may be the entire information is there. Or who knows? Or can be uh, reached. Anyway, so you can see that um, maybe the, the concept of maybe net is working. And of course, in information net, but also action net, and all kind of, kind of interconnection is happening kind of within this space, actually all over in front of you and in front of me and then everything is kind of all connected. And uh, so in a way, I think internet is more convincing, you know, in, uh, in this world. That means, uh, <clears throat> um, of course, people have been uh, misusing and then spreading misinformation, false information, and recruiting, recruiting uh, terrorists and uh, so forth, and you know, and then uh, influencing other things, trying to maybe even uh, blow up a factory. Well, there are many uh, kind of misuse of the uh, this kind of interconnections, but also it could use it in a life-affirming way that um, maybe, you know, like, a, okay, I have this idea of um, planting trees in Amazon forest to reverse the climate change. So um, maybe I put up a website 
I sent you email and then ask you to join. And then we have these Brazilian partners and then they are working with uh, indigenous people and then ask them to uh, grow seeds in the nursery and then transplant the seedlings and of a mixture of trees and then kind of take care of uh, young trees for three years. So uh, we can do that. So we can use it in a uh, life-affirming kind of positive environmental or peaceful way. And uh, it could multiply. You can see it. Oh, if you like it, you put it in, in uh, social media and your own site, and it sort of multiplies. And then um, <clears throat> it has um, good effect. You can see that uh, we can be uh, very powerful if we, our intention is good, our action is good, and we have a good follow-up, and then be transparent, and then other people may want to start something like that. Or maybe think of this idea of prototype. If you create something very positive and then uh, make it open, other people can sort of apply it and then you can uh, multiply the uh, positive effect. So that way, um, we, the interconnected means also we can uh, work together, help each other uh, in different ways. So no single individuals or a single organization can kind of match the uh, the speed and then scale of the environmental destruction. The only way we can work effectively is to think deeply and then to try to find something that is good, good for everybody, and then easy to uh, maybe replicate in the in the way. So if we think deeply, and then we can be we can act effectively. Thank you so much.